Good evening, all the fans. Good afternoon, good morning, good afternoon. As I said, to all the fans of the Over 6 Sports Podcast, it is your boy, Zach the Bandit Burke. With me, as always, is the man you know and love, the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. How we doing tonight, Cameroon? Oh, I just want to put out a thing for all the listeners. If anybody's looking for a left-handed custom spider, I know uh, somebody who's selling one. Things uh, are, are going okay on the golf course, but uh, I, I basically want to get rid of every putter I own and start new. I'm shooting like high 70s with more than two putts per round. It's it's horrible. So if you know anybody looking for a left-handed custom spider, I, I know somebody who might be selling how are I you doing tonight, Burke? I'm, I'm like choked up because I was not expecting that that start. Um, there's a lot of things that I thought you were going to lead into. Like, I don't know. Like, you want to get into like Morikawa or you want to be like like going going to something like that, like the the Open. Or I, I don't know. But you just, just straight fire out of the gate. If anybody wants my shit-ass putter, like take it off me. Um, I mean, I could honestly say a similar sentiment, man. I, I, this week is not, you know, I played a men's league tonight and, um, yeah, it did not go well, not go well. Second worst score I've, I've thrown up this year, uh, on my home course. And, uh, you know, parts of the game that I thought, and like, I feel like everybody, like I'm a 20, oh, what am I at? 20.5. My handicap went up today, but like, I feel like every aspect of the of my game that I thought was shit showed up today and everything that I thought I was like decent at just disappeared. Like my putting was trash. I haven't made a putt within 10 feet or like whatever, six to 10 feet recently last two weeks. And my wedges I thought were good. Nope. They're trash. My long irons and my hybrids are suddenly good. Like I can't put it together. I, it's just like, like honestly, like I look at like Trent, like shout out to our boy Trent, on um from uh from barstool sports and the uh, four play podcast uh episode comes out tonight at eight o'clock um which i being thursday uh, we're recording on thursday night so whatever it'll be out by the time you listen to this um but like this guy's trying to break 100 i know i can break 100 and the fact that i'm shooting over 100 after shooting a 90 there two weeks ago like it drives me nuts yeah golf's just the most frustrating sport yet it keeps bringing you back i shot a 40 on the front nine the other day, played the 10th hole, ended up hitting driver three wood to four feet, making eagle. And then we get a uh, horn for lightning in the area. So we get taken off the course. I'm like, I felt horrible. My game on the front nine shooting four over. I mean, that's still pretty good, but I had more than two pots per hole. And then I go out and make an eagle. And then we get knocked off because of lightning. It's just like, well, this is why I play the game. And then now it's kind of struggling, but golf is the most frustrating sport in the world, no matter how good or bad you think you are, you always want to improve it. I mean, you see that from the pros, you see that from everybody. And, uh, I don't know why I keep putting myself through it twice a week. Well, part of the reason is, is because there's always that opportunity of getting better. Like this is what, like my attitude, I was like, like the front nine today with like the actual men's league store score was just awful because it was like, ah, shit. What was I 20 over after nine holes? And I think I ended up, uh, what did I end up? I shot 102 today, so I ended up like 11 over on the back and 20 over on the front. But like the 20 over, like I go, I go into the back nine being like, all right, if I birdie two, if I birdie two and I par seven, 
even though I have I I parred one on the front. Like if I if I birdie two and I par seven, yeah, perfect, eighty nine. And like that's why you keep coming back. It's not I don't know. Like that's just how I look at it. It's like you always have this potential, and you know you can string it together. Um, the old guy that I was golfing with today, shout out to my boy Nelson, was like, man, he's like, just imagine how boring it would be to be a pro. And I was like, absolutely not. Like if I was sticking it to two feet every single time, it would not be boring. Are you kidding me? I'd move back a team, make it more. Like if I was playing that good of golf consistently, I, it would be the best thing ever. I don't, I don't see how you can say that's boring. Well, I mean, that's just the perfect transition into kind of a recap for the open championship. And the guy who won was Colin Morikawa. And there's a lot of people saying he basically played the most boring round of golf for the most boring. He plays the most boring golf. He yeah. literally stands up to the tee, stands up to the ball, hits this two yard cut every single time. And a lot of time he's two putting. I mean, a short game in putting was great this week. He's usually not a great putter and he ranked first. Usually he's like 124th on the PGA tour in putting and he was first this week. So, I mean, when you're that good of a ball striker and you play that boring of a golf and you, your putter gets hot, you're going to go low. And I mean, that's just Colin Morikawa for you in a nutshell. He is honestly, he's so respectable, but so boring, even in these interviews afterwards. Yeah. And like, that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to bring up. Like, man, this guy's 24. So he's three years younger than us, which is wild because he's won multiple majors in his first start. And what was he? He's like the second guy to do it like behind Tiger where he's won two of the majors on his debut. Like it's super, super impressive. Like if you look at those, like like you're, you're behind Tiger. You're the second behind Tiger and Tiger who's arguably the greatest of all time. I don't think – I mean there's a conversation to be had there, but I don't see how anybody else is, is winning that argument. I, like if you can say Nicholas, you can say whoever, but I don't know. Like it's it's part of it is is generational bias where like we grew up watching Tiger, so we definitely you know would would say that's the case. Um, but like he's so young, and like we we talked about on this podcast, we talked about Jordan Spieth, um, you know, being twenty six, twenty seven, however old he is, twenty eight, uh, and saying like you know you know people were saying, well, this guy's, these guys done. He's, he's over the hill, blah, blah, blah. And, and you, I remember you saying this specifically, you're like, well, he's so young. He's got so much room to go. And if that's the case for Jordan Spieth, who put up a great performance this weekend, and we'll get into that a little bit here. Um, what is the ceiling for Morikawa here? Cause like this guy is, ju- he's just an absolute machine. Like anytime you thought that, that, um, that he was going to make a mistake. Like he had the par putt. I think it was on 15, uh, 15 or 16 late. Like he, he puts it in the fescue, chips it out. You know, he's probably 20, 25 feet away. And they're like, Oh, like we're going to give a, a stroke back to Jordan and make it close. And he absolutely ice in the vein drains the pot. No problem. Um, like if, yeah, if, if Jordan's got a, a crazy high ceiling, Morikawa is like arguably one of the most exciting, obviously, but one of the most exciting futures in golf and and currently one of the best players in golf no doubt yeah i mean that's just one of the fickle things about golf because three years ago we were sitting here and spieth had what won his third major and then he just collapsed at the masters and his game went downhill so golf can do that to you you saw jordan spieth he was ranked outside the top 100 to start this season he's now 14th or 13th i believe in the world and he's really come back together so but yeah colin morikawa's game and just who he is is just so stable and so steady and it's really what 
comes down to when his putter can get hot. He's turned out to, he was the second best putter when he won the PGA championship last year at Harding park. And he was the best putter this week at the open championship or this past week. And that's what gets it done. He's the best ball striker on the PGA tour. He's putting up numbers. A lot of the numbers he ranks this season in ball striking is fourth all time. Number one, two, and three are all tiger woods. Yeah, of course. So That's how well this guy is striking the ball. His he's just unbelievable. It's crazy. Cause you think, like a back left pin, a guy's going to want to move it right to left. So it's a draw for a right-handed player. Nope. He still hits his two yard cuts. He doesn't really get scared of aiming just left to the, cause he just knows it's going to be this two yard cut every time. The one thing I will say this, this weekend and everything is that Sunday. It's just every bounce and every lie Colin Morikawa got too. Yeah. It's that's, I mean, you need that to win occasionally. Like Jordan Spieth was playing great and everything and putting the pressure on. But you're like Colin Morikawa, short size himself. He's in the fescue. This is an impossible up and down. And then they show the close up of the line. It's like sitting up perfectly that you can just pitch it up and yeah. get it close. And he does. He hits it to four feet. And you're like, how is this guy getting every perfect lie in the fescue? He did it twice on the back nine. And then even when he thought he made the mistake on 15 on the par five, he had this crazy uphill kind of s- sliding putt. He just drains it, which you're not used to from Morikawa. So he was just super steady made every putt he needed and man just i mean there's no doubt in my mind this guy's 24 but his interview afterwards i mean yeah first thing he does is just going on a, on like giving huge props to the amateur and everything like that call more cow is way more mature than i am and he's three years younger than me like i just watch him and i'm like man this guy is what 24 going on 45 or something like older he's playing yeah, he, he might he, he plays boring man golf how many times did he pull out a three wood like these guys yeah. are pulling out driver and Morikawa's like, nah, three wood, nah, three wood. And is it boring to watch? Yeah. So boring. But this is like the same style of golf you play and it's super effective. Like, and they're talking, they were talking on the broadcast about like, you know, oh, like Colin Morikawa is proving that, you know, old school golf is, uh, is making like, is still effective in today's new age of bomb and run. And I'm like. Yeah, I don't think that old school of golf has gone anywhere. Who's this bomb and run kind of player? Like, is is Bryce that you are you just talking about Bryson? Which, by the way, we have to talk about. Like, that's that's our next subject after we're done with Morikawa. But um, yeah, like I'm like I I don't see how placing the ball in a fairway is old school golf. Like, I just to me, if you're not someone who has the ability to consistently hit the ball. Uh, great lengths with accuracy. Why would you not? Like if you can hit your three wood uh, 270 and the pins, like let's just say it's a par four and it's a 550 par four, which by the way is ridiculous. If I had a 550 par four, I'd definitely fucking max that shit out. Uh, But like if you can hit it 270, pull out a four hybrid and hit it 250, why, why would you use your driver? I just don't get it. Like you put it to the number you like and then, you go from there. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a couple of things that played into Morikawa's advantage. So the British open, because it can be, or the open championship, because it can be so windy, the greens are quite a bit slower, which seemed to help him. Cause he's not usually a great putter and he putted phenomenal, but the open championships very different. I think this bomb and gouge style can work a lot. in what we see in the U S and North American style of golf, it's quite open. You can miss, you can't miss in the fescue or bunkers at these courses. It's a full stroke. You saw guys literally chipping in the bunker to a different part of the bunker at times. I saw Shane Lowry do it. He was up against the face, and he's like, yeah, I can't get this out anywhere. I'm just going to chip this to the middle of the bunker and work from there. 
So that's what we kind of we touched on that before the tournament that a guy like Bryson's not going to do well here because you can't miss. The wins never got up, so it, I mean he should have played it differently. But yeah, you saw Colin. He's just like I'm going to play three wood, miss in the right spots. If I do miss, make sure I avoid these bunkers that are full stroke penalty. Try and stay out of the fescue and just play smart golf. And he did. And then he starts. Your putter gets hot, and that's all you need. So. I definitely think the Open Championship and the Lynx style courses that they play on definitely help Morikawa style. Because you get, I mean, you've heard Kevin Kisner talk about it multiple times. At these long, like, U.S. Open set style championships where they're playing, like, 7,600 yards with thick rough, bomb and gouge is still going to work. If you're 180 yards out and you have to hit an iron compared to 90 yards out, even myself, who's a seven handicap, I can hit a, my 58-degree wedge from thick rough a lot better than I can hit, like, a four iron. So it's similar to these guys. Like, Kevin Kisner, If when they're all missing the fairway because they're firm and everyone's missing in the rough because of the U.S. Open styles, it's still going to help the bomb and gallage players. But the Open Championship is something that's going to help these guys and something that you could see a guy like Morikawa winning a bunch because he's not in the top 100 in driving distance. And that's why I kind of like a Kevin Kisner could compete at these two, but... Yeah, I mean, there's still definitely huge advantages to hitting the ball a long way. But, I mean, it, it, it's kind of fun and kind of boring to watch a guy who's does play that older style of miss in the right places golf win a championship like this. Well, I just, I just want to circle back there. It, it, like, talking about boring golf, right? Like, you had just mentioned, like, a few moments earlier that um, he every break went his way. And it really did. And I just want to give a shout out to Jordan Spieth because I didn't think that he played a terrible eight. Like I didn't think he played a terrible last round. I thought he, I thought he played above average and any other no, he played player, a great any round. Other, he just, yeah. A, a, any other player, any other tournament, um, like you're like, he's winning that tournament and, and maybe the bogeys at the end of the bogeys at the start, and the bogeys at the end of round three cost them. But he put up a, a, a really, really solid round, and I was rooting hard for him. Not that I dislike Morikawa. On the opposite, I really, really like Morikawa. But Jordan Spieth just moves the needle in terms of golf, and we've talked about that before as well, how every time this guy's playing, every time he's uh, playing well, um, he absolutely moves the needle. He's He's arguably, him and Justin Thomas, arguably – are the biggest needle movers other than Tiger Woods. When these guys are playing extremely well, they're likable, they're they're extremely relatable on the course. I think that's the big thing. They're super relatable and they just they just bring in views like nobody else. Um so as I say, you know, it's it's I really wanted to see him win, but I mean if as I said, if if we we talked about this last week, you didn't know the name like Colin Morikawa and everybody knows his name now. And everybody knows his name, obviously, before. But, like, this guy's slowly and surely uh, becoming arguably the f- one of the faces of golf. And it would it, be really awesome. I really hope that he follows this up at the Olympics, man. Like, it's coming up. Um, this this tournament's coming up. And I don't know the line, but I don't know how you can bet against Team USA right now. I seriously don't. Like, they're they're just they're just so good. Yeah, that is the one weird thing about the Olympics. I wish they did more of a team event, but it's still just stroke play. It's still just an everyday tournament. They're just representing their countries. 
But yeah, I mean, I was on that Sunday. I was definitely cheering for Spieth. I mean, I just love the way Spieth plays the game. It's so weird. He's such a good short game. The putter gets hot. It's he misses all over the place. But just the way him and Greller interact, his caddy all day, it's just fun to watch. You love hearing those interactions and everything going on. And how amazing and respectable Colin Marcao is. He still is on the edge of being a little boring. But, I mean, he's still a guy I'm cheering for. But Jordan Spieth's the guy I'm cheering for before him. And even that, like all Sunday, I was like, oh, Colin, make one mistake. Let's see Jordan. Let's go to a playoff or let's let's get exciting. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Jordan Spieth is back. Before the year, he was outside the top 100. If I told you at the start of 2021 that Jordan Spieth would be higher ranked than Rory McIlroy, after the open championship, would you believe me? Yeah, n- n- probably not. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Jordan Spieth is now 14th ranked in the world and Rory's now 15th. So after the open championship, Jordan Spieth is ahead of Rory McIlroy on the world rankings. So, wow. I mean, and this was, I mean, he's done okay in the majors, especially the masters. He still seems to always be around there, but this was the first one where if Colin slipped up at all, Jordan Spieth was winning this. And it was the first time where I really felt like he was back. I know he's in all these other tournaments. He was in the Waste Management Open. He got his win, but there's something different about a major. And he was in it, and it was fun to see. So, I mean, we'll touch on the last thing because we got to touch on it, and that's Bryson. So where do you want to start with this? Before we go to Bryson, I just want to do one more thing before we do that. Um, Kevin Kisner was a solo at the start of round four. And he finishes round in what two and a half hours? Yeah, two hours twenty eight minutes, and still shot two under. Absolutely wild! Like this guy was playing like less than like pretty darn close to ten minutes a hole, and was like basically so. Which basically, since you have to walk, and these holes are not short. Seventy six hundred yards is not short. Like you basically like walk up to the ball, look, hit, putt, move on, and. It, to me, psychology-wise, I wonder, too, like, depending on the player, like, I feel like this actually can help some guys. Instead of having this delay where you stand around and wait for whoever to get a ruling on a ball and, you're, you know, you're literally waiting around for 10 minutes, like, maybe kids, maybe that's what he needs. Just just go up, just, just fucking hack and whack. Like, just get up there, hit it, hope for the best, putt it, hit it, do, do your thing. I just, I loved it. I, I just, I thought it was such, so cool. Um, Bryson. So I'll start off with basically, was it round one, Cam, that he was bitching? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was yeah. after round one. So he was bitching about, he's like, man, like I can't hit the ball right now. My driver's no good. My driver face is not working for me. I can't keep it straight, yada, yada, yada. And just tease off to the media about how his driver's no good. And he's a Cobra, he's a Cobra guy. And... Basically, the designer of the club, like a guy that he's worked with on a close parameter, kind of tweeted and or was kind of asked and was like, hey, like, what do you feel about this? And he's like, man, like um, we've spent a ton of time with Bryson. Like we've never had a person that's, you know, has the club head speed that he does. Like we're doing prototypes. We're doing all this crap. We're giving him 13, 14 clubs to try. And like we're giving this like the amount of. Uh, research and the amount of you know due diligence and stuff we're trying to do with this stuff is something that we've never done with any player ever before and to hear him kind of say that stuff uh just you know kind of rubs me the wrong way sort of thing and kind of followed it up with you know like i know that it's heat of the moment yada yada blah whatever um 
But the sentiment was, is like, fuck you, Bryson. Like, we're doing our best for you. Like, what do you want from us? Hit the driver better. And Bryson followed it up later with, um, with basically saying, well, like, I love my team at Cobra. Like, it wasn't about that. It, you know, I was just in the moment and I wasn't trying. But like, he did. He, you called out, you called out people who are trying to help you. And like, if I'm on that research team, I'm like, fuck you, man. Like, like seriously, like you, like. The amount of time we spent on you, the amount of money that we spent on you to use our club, and you're going to throw us under the bus like that? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, this guy's just getting, like, if you're playing bad golf, admit to playing bad golf. Other guys do. Uh, like, at the uh, U.S. Open there, he was complaining. He's like, yeah, I just got all the bad breaks. He shot eight over on the back nine. I mean, I shoot eight over on back nines when I'm playing. Same. Okay. You're... You shot eight over. It's not just bad breaks. You were not playing very good golf. And now he's just whining. It's the driver face. Oh, it's the driver. No, it's you. You're not playing very good golf. Admit it. It's tough. Golf's a hard game. Everyone knows it. Just admit, I'm struggling right now. And you got just like, even Justin Thomas calling him out. Justin Thomas tweets out, never would have thought swinging at 135 miles an hour would be hard to drive it straight. You think Mr. Physics would know that? Because Bryson and his whole scientist thing and his whole act. So you get JT even stepping up. JT and Bryson don't have a beef publicly, but JT's like, yeah, this is horseshit. And then you get into the Brooks thing. We know who does have a beef. We know who does have a beef, and this is the best. So Brooks had a great round in round two, and he he was starting to get himself into contention, as he does at every major, it seems. So he just starts talking about his round. He's like, yeah, I played really well. You know, everything was going my way. And then just, just so happens he sneaks in. Yeah, the driver was really good off tee. I just love my driver. And he just suddenly sneaks it in. And everyone knew he was taking a shot. And, I mean, it's well, he, great. The smirk, though. Did you see the smirk? Like He's, oh, like, yeah. you know, he's like, oh, I, lo- oh, I love my driver. My driver's great. And then you just see, like, the corner, <laughs> the corners of his mouth just, like, perk up just a little bit. Like, he's trying to keep a straight face, but he's just such a shit disturber. Like, he knows... He a hundred percent knows that this is going like this is that everybody knows that this is a shot at Bryson. It was brilliant. Like this is how you keep a beef alive, and like we've talked about this before too. But like, man, we need more of this shit in golf, right? Where you got guys going back and forth, where it's, it's contentious. It's not like, uh, you know, hot. Like there, there's a few guys in the NHL who do that. Like Ryan Reeves is like, yeah, I don't respect him. I hate him. Blah blah blah. You see it from time to time. But most of those guys are like, oh yeah, like good comp- good competitors. You know, tough game. Blah blah blah. Fuck that. Like Brooks is like easily becoming one of my favorite, my favorites on tour. And like, I never was a major Brooks Kepka fan, but like just this, the way that this whole beef is gone. I mean, Bryson has gone from like, like Patrick Reed was the villain. And now Bryson DeChambeau is by far the biggest villain on tour by far. It's not even close. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's lots of times in this whole feud where I really don't like either of them, but then Bryson just keeps taking it a step further and keeps getting worse, and Brooks is like, man, I got to take advantage of this. I mean, you hear about this whole pit money, all this money for player interactions and stuff, and I mean, Brooks Kapka's just driving the top of this now. His interactions on social media, his interactions with everything, he's helped grow in the game, and I mean, so is Bryson, negatively, for sure, like... Everything he's doing is kind of negative and he's turned to be the bad guy, but it's growing the game. It's getting interest in it. And I think it's good for golf. How much I'm really hating Bryson. People are talking about him all the time. And I mean, lots of sayings say any publicity is good publicity, right? So Bryson's well, getting I mean, lots of it. Yeah, for sure he is. And I just love, again, like in the, in the pre-tournament kind of interviews, like one of the British 
uh, reporters was like, hey, uh, thanks uh, for taking the time, Brooks, and called Bryson Brooks. And now Bryson had the straightest face ever. But, man, Brooks is living rent-free in Bryson's head right now. I don't think there's a doubt about it. You could say, like, we talked about that incident uh, probably a month ago where, you know, Bryson walked behind Kafka and said something. And Kafka was like, oh, man, this fucking bullshit. Uh, man, Bry- Brooks is rent free in the shambles head right now rent free no doubt about it yeah and i mean it's just it's just awesome and i mean the open championship was good now we got the olympics to look go look forward to we had uh four majors already done so you're like ah it's gonna kind of be weak but no we got the olympics to look forward to and i mean we got two canadian golfers who are playing great to watch at the olympics i mean if you can bet money that canada will medal at the olympics in golf the odds have to be pretty good, and Mackenzie Hughes and Corey Connors are playing great golf, so definitely pay attention to that. But to, to wrap up the Open, by the way, Corey Connors was so disappointing on Sunday. Like, man, he was right there and just couldn't – like, he started off with a couple of bogeys, rattled off a birdie, but, like, he just – it just wasn't there. And, like, this is where, like – and, by the way, let's we, – we're talking about transparency on the podcast. Our picks were not good. Like – well, I had Usti and Spieth, and they were both up there on. Okay, yeah, well, the final I, we, round. we had Spieth too. Okay, so the the, the kind of like main guys were good, but like my Phil pick was not good. Phil was a disaster. Uh, Bryson missing the cut also didn't happen. He was shit, but he didn't miss the cut somehow. Yeah. I don't I don't know how. Um, but anyway, Usti yeah, by the way just, just sorry yeah, Usti absolutely shit the shit the bed in the fourth round, like. After five holes, like you texted me, you're like, "Yeah, he's done," <laughs> and he was like one stroke behind at the time, and you're like, "Yeah, he's done. Goodbye." Yeah, I mean, I was sitting there on Sunday morning. I had a lot of money on Corey Connors top five, Louis Oosthuizen to win, and Jordan Spieth to win. So all really good odds, and all looking really good as they were all. Louis was from first, Spieth was in third, and Connors was in the top five. Somehow none of those three things hit, so kind of hurt on Sunday. That's just but I a mean, bad over- beat. Yeah, I mean overall, I felt really good going into Sunday, but I mean that's betting for you. You got to take the highs and the lows, and maybe I should have cashed out Sunday morning when things were okay. I, I mean, I mean maybe, but I mean, what do we do on this podcast? And in 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 the spirit of our boys, which by the way, hoping to bring them on the show before football season, our boys at the Sports Gambling Podcast. What do they always say, Cam? Let it ride. And that's what we also live by. We have adopted that saying. So let's get into uh, the NHL expansion draft. We've just spent the first uh, 25 minutes of this podcast talking about golf, which is amazing because we don't like we always talk about hockey, always football. Um, golf's one of those things that we want to talk more about. And we did. So let's. Uh, Let's talk about the expansion draft here. So let, let's start off by just giving kind of our, our overall impressions. Um, I'm going to go first because I've been pretty vocal about this uh, just with, you know, kind of groups of friends and, and just overall things. Um, and and I, I, you know, made an opinion yesterday and, and I'll, I'll tell you what it is now. And then I'll also say what I think after today, because basically all the trades that they had done uh, was that they, they were all announced today. And, uh, after the trade freeze was lifted, I believe, I think I got that right. And, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I just I I was very underwhelmed by the picks that the Kraken did. Uh, I think part of it is is that you always have this comparison to Vegas, and I don't think it's a fair comparison. Uh, frankly, I, I just, I mean, I, I'm doubling down on the Kraken by saying I don't think they'll be good. Uh, but I said that about Vegas. The, the thing that I didn't, that I got wrong with Vegas was, is that they um, stocked the cupboards at the same time as stocking the fridge, if that makes sense. So they basically filled up what they needed for the now, but also filled up for the for the future, which was prospects and picks. They had a ton of picks, basically got traded, lots of stuff to not pick people. And and we knew that GMs this time weren't going to get fleeced. I mean, the Leafs, the Kyle Dubas did an amazing job of that. For an example, not that I'm pumping my own boy's tires, but I mean, they took Jared McCann from the Leafs um, and they, the Leafs lost. So in a sense, and the Leafs traded, uh, got McCann for Hollander in a seventh round pick. So they lost this Hollander prospect, older prospect in a seventh round pick for the expansion drop, which is great. Um, that didn't happen when Vegas was making their picks. So I just, I just, I, I mean, Seattle definitely was dealt a shittier hand in the sense that people were more experienced with it. Um, but I still don't know what they're doing. Uh, because yeah, like, I mean, I look at the trades today and I'm like, they didn't really do anything that was substantial that I like, you know, that filled that cap room and they got some, they, I mean, they got def- decent defense and, but their goaltending is meh. At best, you carry Price on the board. You didn't take him. I get he's got injury problems, but your goaltending's meh. Your forwards. I said this to you last night, Cam. I think half their team is AHL players. Now, granted, yes, they may turn into something, but like next year, like this coming season, I just don't see how they're going to be good. And I, I, in my opinion, if you're Seattle, why would you not, um, with the flexibility that you have, and I get that you want flexibility to build for the future, blah, 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 but you got to build some sort of a product so that moving forward, you got the fans interested and you can't, I mean, if, if they're not successful in two, three, four years, which I hope they are, because I really hope that we always have a competitive league. I, as much as I love to shit on Detroit and shit on Buffalo all the time, I mean, it's better when all teams are pretty close because it makes for more exciting hockey. And that's, you know, obviously as, as kind of, broadcast people that's what we like um but i don't know i just i I was just extremely underwhelmed that's my take i was like meh the whole draft was meh also the fact that it was all leaked before the draft was actually done at 8 p.m was shit as well yeah i agree the leaking really sucked and kind of took a lot of the momentum out of it i will kind of say last night i was actually feeling not that bad about their roster but i was expecting them to basically at 1 p.m today announce that they got a bunch of like third round picks for taking this player and all that and none of that And it sounds like Ron Francis kind of backed himself into a hole where he was asking for like a first and third, not to take certain players and teams are like, yeah, we're not giving up a first and a third. So, and Ron Francis is like, well, call me back. And then it hit Wednesday morning and he's like, oh shit, nobody's called me back. I guess I got to make picks now. I will give some benefit of the doubt. I do think this, he did a couple really good things. They're right at the floor, which could be great for a bunch of reasons. I mean, you could see stuff like Arizona's currently doing where they're taking bad contracts and getting a ton of picks. The other thing you could do is you could be really heavy on some free agents and some younger free agents. I mean, you got some guys who you could sign to six-year deals who will be in their prime for most of those six-year deals, like a Dougie Hamilton. They could be stepping up on some of those guys. Their decor is really good, though. Like, really good. They got Giordano, Alexiak, Vince Dunn, Kale Fleury, Hayden Fleury, Carson Soucy is super underrated in Minnesota. Like their decor is really good. It might be a top 10 decor in the league. 
It's that good. Their forwards are very underwhelming. But in the same sense, Vegas is before they had the years they had in Vegas were super underwhelming as well. So I look at some of the guys they got, like a Jonas Donskoy or even a Cali Yarncrock and some of these guys. These guys actually, and Yanni Gord even, with more of a role, could turn into your William Carlsons and some of them. Well, Eberle, don't, don't forget Eberle well, yeah. too. Yeah, they do have Eberle and they do have a couple other guys who are Tanev players and stars. Yeah. So, but a couple of these other guys, Donskoy, Gord, some of these guys with more playing time could turn into a William Carlson. William Carlson wasn't a 30, 40 goal scorer before Vegas. He didn't get that opportunity with Columbus. So they did pick up some of these depth guys who are high skilled players who could turn into these guys. So I will give them some credit, some benefit of the doubt there that I don't think they're going to be that much like on paper. They're not that much worse than Vegas to start. The biggest difference is, is Vegas got all these first round picks, these extra yeah, things. That's the thing. And then Vegas got a true star in Marc-Andre Fleury where Chris Drieger's okay. He's a one B in my opinion. Like he's, he proved that he could be a one B this year. Vitek Vanacek, he might be pretty promising in that. He looked really good for Washington this year. And then Joey Decord, in the nine games he played for Ottawa, he looked like he was going to be something else. And there's a lot of scouts who are talking about Joey Decord and saying he's going to be a number one in this league. So you kind of have that there. I was definitely thinking they were going Capo Kakinen from Minnesota because he looked super promising in his rookie season. But it shocked me to really not take any true veterans. Like Chris Drieger hasn't played a ton in the NHL. So no. He thought with a really good decor and a really good veteran goalie with maybe a younger goalie, you could see some promise and you, you can get by. I mean, decor is huge. Defense in the league is huge. You saw that in the playoffs and they've done a lot of good things. So I wouldn't I, be counting yeah. them out. And then they've taken some guys who we've seen on the world juniors who've been quite good. Like John Quenville, he hasn't quite reached his peak, but he was super good for the world juniors. They got a couple of those other guys who, like Alexander True, he was unbelievable when he played in the CHL and for Denmark. And some of these guys are high potential guys, but there is some risk there. But, I mean, I think that's what Seattle's plan was. Analytics, they're really analytical and they're definitely forward thinking. And again, cap flexibility is huge. It's just you got to do something with it, and they haven't thus far. So I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt and kind of wait but I do see a lot of really good things with this team, but I kind of agree. Like it's hard to picture them being Vegas, but at the same time, we didn't picture Vegas being Vegas. So it's hard to say. And that division is terrible. Well, I was just about to get, yeah. The thing we got to say. Yeah. I mean, it's true. That's a great point. I mean, I was just about to get into that. Like, so what happened is, is so Seattle's in the Pacific division. And so Arizona slides over to the central. So it's going to be central division is going to be, uh, Arizona, Chicago, Colorado, Dallas, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, Winnipeg. Um, not a great division, but not a bad division. But then you look at the Pacific, where it's Anaheim, who's trash. Calgary, who they don't even know who they are. Frankly, I think that's the biggest problem with Calgary. Is they, they, they have no identity. They, they have no idea what's going on. They don't know who they are. There's been rumors all over the place about Goudreau leaving um like they just they have no idea like monahan is a, you know another great player that it just they there's like no gel you have edmonton who edmonton uh some of the moves that they've made like if they if they get zach hyman like zach hyman's like and like this is kind of a transition not talking necessarily about expansion draft here but um zach hyman's a guy who i mean eight-year deal by the way at five million five million if they actually get that 
if if the Leafs trade him, trade the rights. Like so, that's that's so nuts. The, by the, the full, way, yeah, the full report is it's it's forty million dollars no matter what. It's whether it's seven years or eight years, depending on if the Leafs trade the rights or not. Before I think it has to happen sometime tomorrow. Yeah, I believe they that, have to trade the yeah, rights. That contract is still too too long, in my opinion. Zach Hyman's a great player. Don't get me wrong; like he's a great player, but that's a that's a really long deal. I I don't love seven eight year deals for a guy like that. No, the big difference is though, as you sign him seven eight years, you get that AAV down to five, where apparently he's looking for like on a four year deal, it close to six and a half. Yeah. So for a team like Edmonton, who's tight to the cap, especially assuming three years, the cap should move up quite a bit. It's not a terrible gamble because you think as long as you can get three good years of him at $5 million, that's probably not a bad bet. But yeah, near the end of an eight-year contract for Oof. Zach Hyman, how much I'm actually a fan of Zach Hyman. It's not going to be looking good, I think, those last two years. No, I, and, that's, that's, and that's more what I'm alluding to. And this is not me being a bitter Leafs fan. Like if the Leafs were to say, okay, we're going to sign you to seven, eight-year deal at $5 million, I'd be like, whoa, that's a lot for a guy who's a, you know, a two, like – a two right winger. Like it's, it's just, I mean, he's good, but anyway, so Edmonton. Yeah. I think Edmonton is going to be better. Um, LA is going to suck. San Jose is going to suck. Vancouver, uh, Vancouver. Uh, they showed something this year, but I, I still, again, similar to Calgary. I don't think Vancouver really has much of an identity. Like if, if they can get good goaltending and you know, they got some forward guys, uh, what's his name? Um, Pedersen's been like it has been just in a whole bunch of rumors being an RFA, and they came out today and say we'll match any deal for that or any offer sheet that comes for for Pedersen. I don't know if that's true or not. Whether you know whether it is, whether it isn't. Uh, but again, when you having those conversations, and I get like the Leafs had RFA conversations as well. Don't get me wrong; I'm not trying to be a homer here. But I just looking at just team unity and what they have moving forward. It's like I don't necessarily see Vancouver being that great. So. I mean, Vegas is obviously there, Edmonton's there, but overall, that division is trash. That is the, the like that's got to be the worst division in hockey. It has to be. I mean, other than the uh, the, the Atlantic, I mean, the, the the thing with the Atlantic is is you got five teams that legitimately could make the playoffs and three that are trash, right? But if you look at the Pacific, you have two teams that are deaf. You know, you could say definitely playoff teams like Vegas and Edmonton and then the rest are like, I don't know. I will say, uh, I think LA is going to take a massive step this year. They're super young and promising and it wouldn't shock me if they make the playoffs. The other two California teams are terrible and I don't see where they're going right now, but LA actually, I could see them doing something. They're quite promising and they have a lot of prospects and a lot of draft capital and it wouldn't shock me if they do something in free agency. So LA is going to be much improved, and it wouldn't shock me if they're better than Calgary and Vancouver. But it's not something that's like, yes, this team is a playoff team for sure, without even looking at the... Yeah, no. right. They like, should without, compete for a playoff yeah. spot, but I don't think they're a playoff team for sure. But they're not a lock. Like, you look at the Atlantic, you're like Boston, Florida, Montreal, depending on health. Toronto, Tampa Bay, like those are teams that are like, yeah, those guys should make the playoffs. Three of them will, two of them maybe. Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo, like no, they're, they're not well, making have, the playoffs. Yeah. The no Atlantic, doubt. you have five five teams who could make a run, not even just make the playoffs. You have five teams that you yeah. think could actually make a run in the playoffs. Yeah. You have one team that's going to be super pesky all year in the Ottawa Senators, and then you have two teams, <laughs> two teams that are just horrible. 
and horrible. They're they're, they're just not going to be good. This especially Detroit. Especially Detroit. By the way, I was going to ask you. We're going to get back to expansion draft here just briefly. Which division cam do you think is the strongest right now? Central. It's obviously not the Central of the Pacific. So it's either the Atlantic or the Metropolitan. Yeah, to me, it's got to be the Atlantic. I think teams in the Metro are going to take a step back. I don't really know where Pittsburgh and Washington are going. The Isles definitely have some interesting moves to make as well. So I definitely think the Atlantic is easily the best division and going to be the most competitive division this season. Well, even if you look at the Metro, I'm like looking at this. You're like, okay, Washington, Pittsburgh, as you said, they're like, we don't know what's happening there. Philly, you're like, Philly is either – Philly's Jekyll and Hyde where they have a good season and they look like contenders – and then they have a season where they don't make the playoffs. And then they have a season where they're like close to back to be normal and they don't make the playoffs. Right. Oh, sorry, I skipped over Carolina too. And Carolina's gonna still be really good. Yeah, Carolina will be good. The the one team that I like, I think the Rangers are doing the right thing. Like, I mean, they've been kind of sliding under the radar a little bit here. Uh, but they're making some really good signings. Like they they just they're they're slowly but surely getting because they always feel like and again, like we haven't covered like we, we started in January, but um so we're seven, almost eight months into this podcast. I like we haven't had a chance to cover the Rangers, but I have this feeling that over the last three, four, five years, they've always had these bad contracts, old guys. Um, they just haven't, you know what I mean? Like they haven't been a team that's really been kind of that rebuild team, if that makes sense. Like you're in New York, you're like you're in, you know, the 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 city of shining lights or whatever they call it. Like you're in this the city that never sleeps. Like you always got to have a team that's that's decent. And they, I don't know that they pen that letter to their fans being like, we're going to rebuild. And it seems like they're actually doing it. And I can't argue that they're doing it poorly. No, New York is one of those teams along with LA that I think is going to take a massive step. Uh, New York had a couple issues last season. One being Panarin being out yep. and a couple of things. But I mean, they have the reigning Norris trophy winner and Adam Lung, Fox. Lungfist, stud. Lung, Lungfist, Lungfist being out was huge too. Well, he was playing for Washington this season, so that didn't impact anything. Oh, shit. Wait, he, oh, 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 he got traded. Traded? Yeah. No, he signed a free agency deal. What did he do? Yeah, yeah. he, he signed in Washington. So, yeah, that didn't impact this past season. But Panarin having he everything going, going By on the with way, the Russian By the way, hold on, no, 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 pause the phone, pause the phone. We hope that Lungfist is doing well, by the way, because Guy had heart surgery. But you're right. He did leave Vegas. Sorry. You know, it, it has been weird all watching teams because now I have absolutely no idea what they're doing. But anyway, back to it. Yeah. We're good. The biggest two question marks with New York is they've had a second overall pick and the first overall in the last couple seasons. And neither guy has filled out as much as you'd want them to. I mean, Lafreniere had a ton of injury problems and some issues. Was he like the most disappointing first round pick since um, what's his face in Edmonton? I don't Um, even know that because like Jack Hughes hasn't taken massive steps. I don't know if Rasmus Stalin has really filled out as much. And he missed a bunch. So I think he's in the similar thing like that. And Capo Caco has been, I say, way more disappointing as a second overall pick than Lafreniere has been as the first. Because Lafreniere, in, once he started to get into some game action in regular, he looked good at times. Capo Caco really hasn't been the player they were expecting. So if these two guys can take the steps that they should and hit near their potential, I think the New York Rangers could be really good. I mean, they have Panarin. They have Fox. They have now they've picked up a couple other guys who are going to be big there. I think there's definitely a lot of promise with the New York Rangers. Well, and I, as I said, I always hope that, you know, teams are going to improve. I mean, the only team that I don't want to see improve that I want to go through a rebuild is Boston, frankly. Um, 
because they've been too good for too long. And I just feel like Boston fans need to just take a step back here and just realize your team is not God and you don't have control over the NHL. Um, obviously the playoffs, but anyway, expansion draft, Seattle. Um, what would you grade the draft for the Kraken? I mean, by, before you grade them, let's let's go through a couple gradings. Grade the the jerseys as they currently are. If they had a slightly better logo, I'd rate it an A+. I think I'm going to go with like a B plus though. I still actually really like the color scheme, and I think the jerseys are sharp. I'm yeah. not a huge fan of the logo, though. The logo is the only thing that I'm like, ah, it's okay. I just wish they went more with like a Kraken theme than just the S. But overall, the color scheme, I think, is great. I think the color scheme is good. Um, I don't mind the, the logo itself. I think it's okay. Um it's just fucking huge on the jerseys, though. It's, like, it's huge. You see the guys, like, walked up on stage last night, and I'm like, man, that's a big ass on the chest. Like, huge. Like, look at any other team or, like, Boston, Montreal, Toronto. They don't have massive low. Like, the the, the the ass on the front is, like, how do you skate on that? Just be whacking your gloves and, like, getting into your pants? Like, No. Like too big. I bet Shorten you, that up. I bet you it won't, won't seem as big when they have the uniforms. The other thing I will give Maybe them not. the third the third logo with the anchor with that lighter blue. Like you saw a bunch yeah. of guys wearing the t shirts and stuff. That looks good. Yeah, that's a nice looking. Nice. The concept's not bad. Yeah, no, I definitely like the concept, and I kind of understand some of the things about the logo, but yeah, overall, I actually really like it, and I think they've done really well with both Vegas and Seattle now with their kind of jerseys and concepts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll give them an A. I think that again, the the color scheme is excellent. I think you know it's kind of Miami esque, Miami Dolphins esque. It doesn't have the orange, obviously, but like I, I'm 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 just I'm a sucker for aqua. What can I say? You add a little aqua in there, and I'm in. Um, in terms of the draft, I'm giving them a, um, you know, kind of my rating for the draft. Again, it's it, it's this is going to either really suck or it's like my this this ranking or it's going to be like good. Um, I'm I'm just giving them a C plus on the draft. I I just there there was a lot of really really good players available, and I get that they, you know, I get that they're planning for the future. You're not trying to build an organization just for one year. I I totally understand that. Um, I'm giving them a C plus because I think they they're they didn't give the fans a team that is necessarily, in my opinion, yeah. This is only my opinion. Whatever happens on the ice happens on the ice. Like I, I, I can't predict the future. I don't have a crystal ball. But but C plus for for giving the fans something to cheer about. I mean, most of the fans don't know half of these guys that are on the team because they're AHL guys. I mean, yeah, you guys got like guys like Eberle and Giordano and like you know like Tanev and like guys like that. But it's all like big name, big seller guy. And is that part of you know making teams successful? No. Is it part of making a business successful? Yeah, for sure it is. And it, are, do I think they're going to be successful this year? No, I don't. And for that reason, I give you a C plus. Uh, I kind of shark tank that like, and for that reason, I'm out C plus for the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I was kind of thinking C plus, but I think I'm going to go with about a B minus. I really like some of the things they did. Like that cap space is huge, especially with how strapped some of the teams are. Now, I mean, the B minus is kind of thinking they got to do something with it. We'll see how free agency goes. But overall, I like a lot of their moves. They definitely kept a lot of potential and they kept a lot of flexibility, which is great. I definitely think one more star would have been great to help really market the team and really yep. push the team forward. 
it's tough though because you bring in Carey Price with that contract with everything kind of in question mark with him as the face of the franchise you, I don't think you want to bring in a guy like Tarasenko because just the locker room issues everything like that cancer in the just, room that was like that was the best decision they made all draft by the way not bringing him in I'm sorry well like, that's yeah that's the one thing they did really well is they brought in great character guys so I think it's a little tougher to build it build really market guys like like Giordano's a phenomenal guy he's a great player everyone you talk to him he's won like leadership awards he's a Norris trophy winner a couple years ago Jordan Everly again he's going to be a star he is a star in the league he's made the all-star team he's a great player and Adam Larson again he's kind of just but Giordano and Larson just because of kind of the way they play they're not really superstars they're stars they're great players they're really good players in this league but they're not so I think that's kind of one of the disappointing things is they don't really have anybody to hugely market. I mean, their their biggest marketing thing at times yesterday seemed like the Flurry Brothers. They drafted yeah. one more Flurry than Vegas did, <laughs> so they've now set the record for Flurries drafted in an expansion draft. We've got a Flurry, and people are like, oh, "Really?" And they're like, "Yeah, Kale." And people are like, "Oh," like people's reaction is like literally to what like Kale the vegetable. They're like, "Oh, Kale, great." Just like what we wanted. We were hoping for fucking whatever, regular lettuce, but we get kale. So, yeah, like overall, though, like, again, like even you look at Kale Flurry, to me, the games he's played with Montreal has been super good, and that really hurts Montreal's right side of their D now for a while, not having Weber probably for the career now with Bergevin's news today, and losing your top right-handed defense prospect in Kale Flurry, who's looked good at times when he's played with the Habs. It hurts. He looks like he's going to be really good, so... Just a lot of their moves I really do like, and the cap flexibility is huge. But if they don't take advantage of that, this C or C plus B minus kind of thing could turn into an F in a hurry. With twenty seven million, I think they have in cap space. You got to use some of that. You got to take advantage of that. Whether you're getting picks from other places and taking on bad contracts or signing some free agents, you got to use that, or it doesn't really matter. And this could turn into an F in a hurry. But like, they already had an opportunity to sign free agents, didn't they? Like, didn't they get first crack at the UFAs? So any UFA that was exposed, they were allowed to talk to. But if they came with a deal with that guy, that had to be their pick from the team. So that's what you saw with Adam Larson and Chris Drieger is they came to deals with those guys. So they had to be the pick from those teams. They didn't get to choose somebody else. So they did talk to all those guys. Like, they would have talked to Landis Cog. They would have talked to some of those other guys who were exposed, but unless that was going to be their pick from that team and they came up with a contract. But again, those guys only could speak to, like Landis Cog, he can only speak to Colorado or Seattle right now. So to him, he's probably like, at this point, he might as well wait till the 28th and speak to everybody. So yeah. it wouldn't shock me if some of these guys who they talked to early do end up signing in Seattle, and that would be great for Seattle. If they get a guy like Landis Cog to sign there, there's another huge face to your franchise. So we'll see what happens be something next to, yeah. week. Yeah. That'll be something to look for. Sorry to interrupt. That's what I was going to say. That That's something to look for. That's the next step, and that's something we can talk about next week. When When is the UFA window open? July 28th. Okay, so we're six days away. So we're talking, yeah, so like next week. Like we're talking when we record, like if we record next Wednesday, we'll have some UFAs probably to announce. They'll probably have it done, ready to go. Um, and, and, and we'll talk about that. I mean, it's it's great to, to, to break that down. Um, yeah, they got to fill the cap space. I mean, again, to, to kind of wrap it up, in my opinion, as I said, with my ranking of like a C plus on the draft, it's kind of the same sentiment where like, yes, you need to make sure that you have a team to play for. And like part of that is that 
you need to give free agents a reason to come there, especially veteran free agents, like veteran guys. Like if you got a guy who's, who's, who needs to win a cup, like, yeah, you can get guys like, for example, like Pat Maroon. Why wouldn't he go to Seattle? I mean, if, if Tampa signed him, great. Right. Like just for example, like I know that I, I don't know his contract situation at all. Just, it's just the name as an example, but like if Pat Maroon was like, um, yeah, I'm a free agent. And they're like, yeah, okay, we'll give you 3 million bucks. He's like, okay, I'll come play for Seattle. Awesome. Great. Fantastic. He's already won three cups. But if you want guys who haven't won cups, that's where I'm like, I don't know. Because a lot of good players that are UFAs, like lots. But you got to give them a reason to come play for your team. And for, like just to give an example, like Toronto has a great, you know, Toronto is amazing in terms of UFAs. Not Sorry, more recently than the past, because when they were a trash team, do you know how hard it was to get UFAs to come to Toronto? It was impossible because you had brutal media, super high expectations, and a team that wasn't going to win. So UFAs were like, yeah, I'm not coming there. And now you're like, okay, brutal media, brutal fans, but a team that has potential to win. So the potential to win just has so much strength over what UFAs want to do if that's their goal. Yeah, but I mean, we saw what Vegas did, and on the roster on paper today, I don't think a lot of what Seattle's di- did is that different than Vegas. I mean, they didn't stock the covers the same way. Is the biggest difference to me? They, 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 so, they, they, but they again, they have the, the fridge, the cupboard. Yeah. What did they stock? Not much. They've got what, a fourth <laughs> fourth round pick for Tyler Pitlick, which is kind of a nothing move. So the fridge is stocked, but not the cupboards. Yeah, I don't even know if the fridge is stocked at this point. Maybe the like what the meat and cheese drawer is stocked. Yeah, the top. The t- yeah, well, no, the juice section. Something that's real, like the the juice section that expires quick. It goes fast, but like you don't have a great investment into your into the meat section that that takes a little longer to expire. But I could see definitely free agents wanting to sign there. It's a new franchise. Seattle's a beautiful city. You kind of get all that. And I mean, if you're looking for a long career, maybe that's the place you go. And I mean, there's definitely guys in the league who definitely be like, if I can be the face of a franchise, why not go there? Like that could be fun. And there is, I don't think they're going to be great by any means, but there is some promise with some of the pieces they have on that roster. So I could see it. If you could get, especially if you could get like two or three guys signing there, they have a lot of money to work with. So you get two or three big name guys that they had like Dougie Hamilton, Gabriel Landeskog to that lineup. That's a completely different lineup. And you look yep. at it and you're like, now they can move off some of these D prospects that they have. Their D is so deep. That's how you could turn it around in a hurry. So I definitely see what's going on in Seattle. And I, it'll be interesting seeing them over the next week. Did you have any last minute thoughts on the expansion draft? Yes. I, I just want to, I want to talk about Seattle fans briefly. Because I feel like as hockey fans, it's difficult to wrap our brains around the fact that like, oh, like Seattle, whatever. Like, it's not a hockey town, yada, yada, yada. Have you seen the Seattle Seahawks fans? I know football is a different beast in the U.S., but, man, these people are nuts. Same thing with the Mariners, man. They they, they just, every single professional team that's there, even when they're trash, which the Seahawks haven't been in a while, but the, they just show up to games and just absolutely cheer their ass off. So, as much as... I think this is a C plus draft for the Kraken, and I and I am banging this drum that you need to provide, you know, content or players or success for your fan base right off the hop to get interest. I also have this side of me that's like, man, it doesn't matter what product you provide on here. 
Same as the Leafs. The Leafs can march out crappy teams and they fill the ACC. Seattle, unbelievable fan base, unbelievable people. I think they fill the stands. And I just think that that's a boost. I th- I give the Kraken fans an A+, because I'll tell you what, they're going to fill that building. No matter how shitty that team is, they will. And you want to give a crappy team a boost? There you go. Well, I got two points there. One, Seattle is a hockey, a hockey town, city, town. The Seattle Thunderbirds of the WHL are one of the highest attending teams in the WHL. So, the, I mean, it's still weird that there's a couple U.S. teams in the Canadian Hockey yeah, it's League. Like Plymouth. The Seattle it's like Plymouth. Th- the Seattle Thunderbirds draw a ton of fans, and it is a great place to play from anybody who's played there in junior. The second thing is, is no, they do leave their bad teams, and they will not Who? watch. Who? The Seattle Supersonics are not a team anymore because they couldn't draw fans anymore. Who? Is that the Seattle the, Super- was it the team that went to Oklahoma? Yeah. Whatever, man. Hockey... <laughs> And I they mean, had Kevin, they had Kevin Durant on their team and they still moved. Bro, they still didn't draw fans because okay, they sucked. I, yeah, I would argue that like people always shit on hockey, by the way. Like, oh, it's the hardest sport to watch, hardest to get fans. Man, basketball has got to be. If you have a shitty basketball team, it's not fun to watch. At least hockey, there's a level of parody where you're going to like sh- look at Detroit. Shitty team who won. Well, how many games did they win last season? 20? Was it that many? No, less than less than well, no, probably not less than that. But like, let's just say they win. But like, if, if you're a shitty team in the NHL and you play 82 games, you're gonna win 20, maybe. Well, they did win 19, so you weren't far off. Yeah, so you're it's okay. How many did Buffalo win? Look, look that up right now. But you probably got a close to there. Did they win a game? No, they won 15. Right. So Buffalo is the shittiest team in the in the NHL. They won 15 games, which is more than 25%. So they're winning more than 1 in 4. If you're a shitty team in the NBA, you are not winning 25% of your games. I'm sorry, you're not. It, like it, but like even MLB. And this is where the, this is my argument is that NFL, if you're shit, you're shit shit. Like you're like 0 and 16 Browns shit, which Seattle hasn't got there yet. So whatever. But the NFL doesn't matter. NFL, you'll fill the stands no matter what, because that's just the culture in the in in the U.S. Baseball, you're gonna win 25% of your games because 25% of your games, you're 40 and 120. You can win 40 games in the MLB. If you don't win 40 games, that's I don't even know what the worst record is, but that can't be close to that. And hockey, same thing. You're gonna win more than 25% of your games. NBA, <laughs> it's very possible. It's very possible to go 20 and 62. Like, it's it's not a crazy stretch at all. So I don't blame them for not supporting that team. Yeah, no, I agree, though. The fans in Seattle can be great, especially with a promising product and a product that's just in the beginning. They're going to be all over it. So if Seattle can do a couple things in the first couple of years, they kind of got a free pass, I believe, for probably two or three years. They kind of got a free pass. More so than Vegas. see what they can do. More than Vegas. I think they have a free pass way more than Vegas does because the fact that Vegas was successful early, people were like, well, Seattle has to be good. I actually think it's the opposite. So I actually think that Seattle has way more rope because they're like, oh, well, people learn from Vegas. So therefore, Seattle has more rope, in my opinion. I don't know. I think that's, I think that's fair, though. Yeah, no, for sure. So that's your last thought on the expansion draft? That's it. Love the fans. I'm just supporting so the just... franchise. Got a couple more NHL things to talk about just because the Habs kind of did their year after expansion draft thing. Yeah, so we let's heard get into two it. big, we did heard, heard two big things from Bergevin today. 
The first one is the Weber news and yep. Weber will not play this season. He most likely will not play ever again, which isn't completely shocking. But the things that are shocking is that he played with all these injuries through the playoffs and was quite effective. I mean, the guy's just a beast. There's no way around it. The guy has ankle, knee, uh, tendon issues that are going to pro- probably end his career along with a broken hand and thumb. Man, to play through that, I just don't even know how you do it. That, like, It's not like he's going like you see guys all the time, like Yanni Gore, it's four-month surgery. This guy's career's over from the sounds of it. So it's kind of sad. It's been Weber. I mean, I'll, I'll, I do that trade over again. We got a Stanley Cup final out of it. Weber yep. was a great influence for these young players. And PK Subban's been on multiple teams and was exposed to the expansion draft again where and still didn't get picked up. So to me, that trade is over again. The only positive side to that is that's $8 million in free cap space now because he'll be on LTIR or retire. So, I mean, if he retires, Nashville's fucked, but Montreal's, <laughs> Nashville, Montreal's I was gonna, still I was okay. going to say that. Nashville's praying right now. They're like, Weber, please, please be on LTIR for the red of your contract. How much? How many years is that? He's still got like five more years. There's no silly. chance. There's no chance he's on LTIR that long. No, absolutely not. No way. I mean, Marion Gabrick's still on LTIR for uh, Tampa, so we'll see. But okay, we so did here's get my some... question: Did, did Gabrick yep, sign with Tampa, though? I don't believe so. I don't even remember. I mean, why would guys... Why would okay if he's not going to play again? Why would Montreal not tell him just retire? Is it because he doesn't get the money? Is that the idea? Well, one, he doesn't get the money, and it does. It still impacts them a bit. It's like a million dollars or five hundred thousand against the cap, but it's still a little bit of money if he uh, retires. Where LTIR, it's zero. So, so there's wh- still. So what's the requirement from the NHL? I I actually don't like. This is a genuine question. Where I I don't know at what point is the NHL step in and be like, bro, we know you're not playing again. The only reason you're doing this is because you want to grab grab the cash. We know that you have a contract, but you're not playing again. Like, like you can't just do this LTAR thing to grab your money when he, when it's obvious to everybody and to league doctors. I know you have the loophole thing, but like, at what point does the NHL look at that and be like, no, come on, this is ridiculous? Yeah, that would that would be something that would come up in the collective bargaining agreements, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime no. soon. I think the players are quite okay with it, and the NHL is really fine with it. If a guy's never going to play and the teams are going to pay him, what does it really matter to them? It's yeah. not like he's going to come off the roster for playoffs, so he's probably done forever. Does that make you but sad? We did get uh, a little bit. I mean, Weber's been a huge influence, and it was such a great year and such a fun year. And he was a huge part of it. He was phenomenal in the playoffs. So it's, it's a little disappointing. So, but we did get some really good news from Bergevin today that Jonathan Drew will be attending to camp and he'll be ready to go come the fall there, which is super promising. Everything was pretty hum ho. You didn't hear anything about it, but you knew he was struggling mental health things. There sounds like there were some things with his family. It was nice to see the media really not try and push and prod too much about it. So we don't know that much about it. But to hear that he's doing well and he's ready to go and eager to go in training camp is super good to hear. Just from a personal, like just person to person, human being side of it, to hear that he's ready to go come the fall is awesome to hear. And Jonathan Drew is a guy with a ton of potential. So not only is it good to hear personally, it's awesome to hear as a Habs fan and kind of for the organization because he's still got a ton of potential. But but also um, that the Habs didn't give up on him in a sense. Right, like they like they were there to support him through those issues, 
because how many times have we seen when players have issues and like I'm calling out the NFL a little bit but like NFL they have when they, when guys have issues they get cut that's it like and that's that's the nature of the beast like I it's I get the business side of it like they're just like yep you're cut goodbye and like kudos to the Habs for sticking by them and like we like as you said we don't know what the issues were or or what you know what was going on um and I get guys are under contract, but like it's very easy for teams to to sue or to claim breach of contract, whatever the case is. And just the fact that the Habs were like, "No, like you're good, bro. Like, t- like take take your time, you know, take care of your issues, take care of your family." Um, hats off to Habs for that. And and I don't, as I said, I don't know what the issues are. We don't know what the issues are. We probably never will. Um, but just in this day and age of knowing that sports is a business, to kind of take the business side out of it and and maybe I'm off base saying, you know, pumping the tires of the Habs, saying that they did all this kind of stuff when maybe every team does it. I don't know. But I, to, to me, to not throw a player under the bus and to seriously take their mental health in consideration um, is a big thing for me. And just, you know, hats off to the Habs. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome to hear. And they got a couple of interesting other things. It sounds like Deneau is not going to re-sign with the Habs, although Bergevin womp, did kind of... Womp. It's probably not likely, but until he signs a contract somewhere else, the door is still open, and it sounds like they have an offer on the table for him, whether he wants to accept it. But if not, Montreal has somewhere between 14 and $20 million in cap space without Weber's contract now. So there's quite a bit they could do in free agency, and it's another team that you got to watch. I mean, they're going to have Nick Suzuki to sign at the end of next season, so you kind of hope as a Habs fan, I'm hoping they sign him long-term now where you can get him a little cheaper AAV for eight years, but they're a team that I'm excited to watch over the next week. Cause they could be in on any free agent out there with that much cap space. Anybody's available for them. So it'll be interesting. And especially off the run they came off of, there's definitely going to be a lot of players who are going to want to sign in Montreal. It, it must be nice as a Habs fan, knowing that you have cap room and also have had success that you're like, Oh, we can just reload with whoever. Don't know what that's like. So, did you listen to Dubis's press conference at all today, or hear no. any of the thoughts on it? No, no. So, I did I'm still, hear. Some I'm still sn- bitter. Sorry, 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 sorry to interrupt. I, I, I do this all the time. I'm sorry. I no, I did not listen. I'm still hurt, and I just don't wanna know. I, I, I pumped his tires for the Hollander seventh round pick thing. That's it. I'm I'm retracting into my turtle shell of non-leafness for the next couple months. But go ahead. Now, I got to take one shot here, though. So Dubas kind of was talking about a bunch and talking about this roster, and he's really happy to bring it all back and just kept going on about it, like, oh, all this success these guys have had. It was basically like the same thing Michael Jordan talked about in the last dance. After they had won five championships. Kyle Dubas was basically acting the same, like, yeah, we're just going to run it back one more year. This is going to be it at the end of this year. Like all the I success took this we've personally. Had. Dubas, you've had zero success <laughs> with this roster though. Like Michael Jordan won multiple championships, like, and, and it's all yeah. over Twitter. Everyone's making fun of him. Like you just basically gave the last dance speech, but you've won shit. Like, sorry. I, I, like, I just lost. I, I, it's like, it's like that meme. I actually did see this one today, but it was like, it was like, it was like a picture of Kyle Dubas. He's like lost his fifth, uh, like his fourth or fourth, fifth round or first round exit. And it was Dubas's face on Michael Jordan. And I took that personally. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> no, like you can't. No, absolutely not. I, I just, yeah, I, yeah. Okay. 
okay, I'll give you my opinion on uh, the, this is my this is my Leafs thing. This is my you, you go to you you dragged me in, you goaded me into it. I'm gonna do it. So you can't. I I I don't want this lip service. I, I I like Kyle Dubas as a general manager. I can't say that I don't. There's some things that he's done that I think are very very good. Um, Spets are coming back. Simmons coming back. I like those things. I like the expansion draft protection. Do I like Alexander Kerfoot? He's fine. I don't really care. He's not a major cog in this organization necessarily. Um, but I don't want to hear, uh, oh, we're going to run it back with the same guys and be successful because what happens when you aren't? The, the That statement from Kyle that you're telling me about, to me, on like again, to me, this is a this is my last year if this doesn't go well. That's what he's saying right now. He's like excited to run it back with the same guys, blah blah blah. Bro, like I was not like we we had talked about like is Dubas on the hot seat, is Shanahan on the Dubas is on the hot seat if this does if they don't win around this year, goodbye. You like like or Shanahan's yeah. got I don't know. That's no. If they don't win a round, Dubis is gone, and it's he might be gone that night. They might fire him the night they, they get, legitimately. They, he like march out of the building. Give me if Shanahan will turn to him in the press box, be like, "Give me your pass. You are gone. I'm not even exit interviewing you. Like, there's you're not saying a statement. Like, you are gone. Get out of this arena. Get out of this box. You're done. I don't see Shanahan going anywhere, frankly, because I actually. I don't think that his vision is poor. I just don't. Could, could, like, is it possible that he gets canned? Maybe, but like, who is MLSE going to hire? Like, there's there's not just tons of president. I mean, is Tim Lewicki available? Is is Messiah Jiri available in that position? Because that's the guy you need, frankly. But yeah, you saw where the Lewickies are, right? Uh, Lewickies are help running the Kraken. Well, there you go. So no Lewickies. Uh, but yeah, like it's just, I mean, that's, that's the first domino to fall because Shani doesn't want to lose his job. Nick Shani's getting paid poorly to be, no, he's not. Is, is Dubas going next? Yep. And do I want him to go? Nope. If you lose in the first round again, is he gone? Yep. That's my least, yeah, I that's mean, my least segment. Yeah. I mean, we'll have lots of time to talk about this closer to the lots. season, but if, if they lose in the first round, nothing's off the table with the Leafs. You could literally I, see, like the only person I'm telling you this right now, Cam. The only person on that team. There's two people that I think are untouchable on that team. Two. That's it. Austin Matthews is number one. John Tavares is number two, mainly because of his contract. That's it. There's no other untouchables on that team. Everybody else is on the table. Everybody. And to me. And to me, the other thing about Austin Matthews is if they lose again in the first round or don't make goodbye, he ain't crazy. resigning. No, he's he's gone to Arizona at the end of the contract. And yeah, no goodbye. Doubt. I'm the only reason I see he wouldn't is if Arizona was in the basement. That's it. But like, yeah, you you gotta do something because you do not want to lose your boy. Now that being said, you want to talk about like um, endorsements and all that crap and his relationship with Bieber. I mean. Bieber actually, okay, again, we're transitioning all over the place, whatever. Bieber actually might be more significant to a Toronto sports team than Drake. Do you agree or do you disagree? 
Significant to his Toronto sports team? No, I disagree. I you mean, think Drake is amb- Drake is more yeah, he's, is, is he's a global ambassador for the Raptors. Justin Bieber no, no, no. has no actual relation, except for the fact that what has Drake done to bring any player to Toronto? He hasn't helped to bring a player to Toronto. I don't know if Bieber's helped to bring a player to Toronto. He's hanging out with Joe Thornton and Austin Matthews. But can Be- but can Bieber's relationship with uh, all I'm saying is that Drake has done nothing as global ambassador besides his OVO thing and yada yada yada. Like it's just a money thing, but. Like, could Bieber, like, if the Leafs were trash, let's just put, paint this picture. If the Leafs were trash and they're like, oh, yo, Austin, sign with us. Can, is, does Bieber have pull? Could Justin Bieber, here's my hot take. Justin Bieber could save the Leafs. Man, if you're depending on Justin Bieber to save that <laughs> franchise, you are, I'm more concerned about you as a Leafs fan than I already was. It's just my most ridiculous hot take. But no, like on a serious note, yeah. You, I mean, you got to win. It's it's the bottom line. In this league, you got to win. Anyway, we got other stuff to talk about. We can literally just walk ourselves in circles the whole time. But what else do we got, Cam? Well, I mean, I, I didn't watch any of it, but we got to touch on the NBA championships. And Giannis, I did watch some of it. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll let you take it from here for the most part. But the first thing I want to say is Giannis's speech – after winning the championship and winning the NBA Finals MVP, that's what a championship speech should sound like, not whatever the Legend. fuck Kucherov was doing. That was much better. That's the way a winner should do it, and that was way more respectable. But everything 50 else chicken nuggets. to the season, I'll let, you, I'll let you go. Okay, so first of all, the Suns were up 2-0. And, I th- and this is where, um, not just in the NBA – but in all sports where experience comes in handy. And the Bucks were up 2-0 on the Toronto Raptors in the Eastern Conference Final in 2019. And what happened in that series? They were up 2-0. They lost 4-2. The Raptors won four straight. The Suns were up 2-0. And what did the Bucks do? They won four straight. You cannot tell. So this is where my Toronto spin comes in. It's like the reason the Bucks won the championship this year was because the Toronto Raptors won in 2019. That's the only reason that the Bucks won. Now, Giannis was an absolute beast in game six. I mean, the man had 50 points, five blocks. I think it was uh, 10, 12 rebounds, something ridiculous like that. Like, he put up monster numbers. And the Suns did absolutely nothing to stop him inside. Like, the one thing that the Raptors did well in 2019 was is they kept Giannis to the outside. And Giannis is not a great mid-range, outside-range shooter. He's just not. But is he really... I mean, look at his free throw percentage. His free throws are terrible, which, by the way, went 17 for 19 in Game 6. Like, he showed up on the line. But, um, <laughs> man, this guy just dominated the post. They just fed him down. Like They just fed him, gave him the rock, and he was under the basket. It was like, yep. I, this one play, he was fed on a position. It was like it was like right side of uh, right side of the restricted area. Two guys on him, and he just turned and dunked it, and they were all over him, and it was unbelievable. Like just absolute monster, and and had five blocks in game six, but not just five blocks. He had five blocks at absolutely perfect times, and it wasn't just that game. All series, he had unreal blocks. Like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Put the team on his back. He Kawhi Leonard, the the um, the Milwaukee Bucks to that title. They like that's it. That's all he they, he he like he just 
he just went legend mode. That's all I can really say about it. And the one thing about game six, and, and this is maybe contentious, and I know guys on the broadcast were talking about it. I watched actually most of game six with the sound off because my guy, my, my kid was sleeping. But Devin Booker and Chris Paul, man, you guys are just bitches. Like, man the fuck up. Like, you are getting, like, game six of the NBA final, you expect that you're going to get whacked, you're going to get hacked, you're going to get, everything's going to be contested. And you're looking to the ref every single play. Like, like Giannis doesn't look to the ref. The guy goes up and gets just pounded under the basket and just slam dunks and walks away. Yeah, okay, he might do a flex here and there, but he doesn't bitch to the refs. And is it because he got a basket? Maybe. Or how about he just plays the game at just a completely different level? And let's just, let's, I mean, talk about CP3 for a second. And Stephen A. Smith was talking about this on first up was, is does this take a hit on, on CP3's legacy? I, I don't think it, do, it does take a hit on CP3, CP3's legacy. I don't think CP3, Chris Paul, has a legacy. Or if he does, it's a legacy of being a loser. This is a guy who's blown a 3-0 lead, and now he's blown a 2-0 lead. And just, he doesn't play on teams that win. That's it. Game over. This Suns team, like this was the, Stephen A. Smith said this. He's like, this was their shot. That I agree with. This is absolutely Chris Paul's best shot. 2-0 up in the NBA Finals. That's your best shot at winning. Because look at the West. Like, yeah, the Suns were great. And and they and you know, I, I think they, they're very to me, watching them play, very reminiscent of the Toronto Raptors in twenty nineteen, where they don't have the best roster roster, but they have a couple players who are unbelievable talents in Lowry and Kawhi, aka C B three and Devin Booker. And they just they played really fundamentally sound team defense and they played, you know, team offense. You know what the Suns did? Every possession in game six from minute nine in the third quarter was ISO ball. Like you just, they, they're just like, okay, give the ball to Devin Booker. Give the ball to CB3. They're going to get baskets. I didn't see, like, I would, I'd be shocked if, if, if there was more than three passes on a singular possession in the third, fourth quarter. That's not going to work. That is not going to work in today's NBA. Look at what the what the Golden State Warriors did when they won championships. They moved the rock around ridiculousness. Yeah, they had Steph. They had uh, fucking um, what's his face, the other guy, the other splash bro, Clay the Thompson. guy who's injured. Yeah, Clay Thompson. Right, they just splashed threes all over the place. But they moved the ball. That was the biggest thing that they did. And and the Suns didn't do that. And maybe the reason you say, well, the, the well, you know, the Bucks played really good defense. Yeah, well, guess what? Teams that play good defense, you find a way around it. Going ISO ball, Devin Booker's not the way to do it. Kudos to the Bucks. They played better. Giannis went legend mode. That is my this is this is what I was feeling during that game and game five as well, just watching it and being like, man, they are just outclassed, outmuscled, out everything by the Bucks. And Giannis deserves it. He is he's a star in this game. He's won he won most improved player, MVP, finals MVP, won the NBA championship. Hats off to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Came from nothing. I uh, was selling uh, goods on the street as a kid to help his parents get by and now he's on top of the NBA world. Hats off, brother. Um that's all. That's my that's my NBA rant, Cam. Yeah, I got two things to touch on. So the reason Chris Paul and Devin Booker were probably losing out on the refs is Scott Foster and Chris Paul have a horrible relationship. And even you saw the guys from SGP 
before the game. Scott Foster was named the head uh, referee for game six. They were like, bet your life on Milwaukee covering. Because Chris Paul, when Scott Foster is refing a game in the playoffs, is 0-14. He has never won a game. Scott Foster clearly doesn't like him. And if you look at the two-minute report, it was definitely not not favoring the Suns. It was favoring the Bucs. The refereeing was better for the Bucs in that game. So they do have a little bit of beef there. There definitely was still way more whining than there probably should be. But it's just it goes back to like the NHL. Why was Chris Lee refing these games? Why are you going to put Scott Foster in these games? Like, if you have that record and you have the numbers to back it up and you do your two-minute report as the NBA does, don't do it. Don't make silly things like this. The Bucks were the better team, but these are just stupid things that you don't need to do. And clearly there's issues with Chris Paul and Scott Foster. So don't put that as a headline in the NBA Finals. My second thing I want to touch on is, yeah, Giannis's career now. You look at this guy. He's 26 years old, which seems crazy. He's an NBA champion, an NBA Finals MVP, a two-time MVP, a five-time NBA All-Star, an NBA All-Star Game MVP, an NBA Most Improved Player, and an NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Like, this guy's career is insane, and he's 26 years old. It's crazy. I mean, I thought he was never going to get it done based on what I had seen in the playoffs, but he got it done this year. He proved me wrong, and he did everything he needed to do to get the job done. Let me give you a comparison. He's basically the Connor McDavid of the NBA, except for he, like, I, I don't think this is ridiculous to say that he's the best player in the NBA right now. I, I don't. You can argue Kevin Durant. You can argue whoever you want. I don't care. I mean, this guy's by his accolades, as you just said, I think he's the best player in the NBA. Is his mid-range and long-range jumpers bad? They're not the best, but it doesn't matter. He gets points. He puts a team on his back. He does what he has to do. Connor McDavid's in the same spot where where he's the best player in the NHL. I don't think it's undisputed. I think it's undisputed, but has no success in the playoffs because he can't put the team on his back. Is it a different game? Yes. Is it harder to put your team on your back in the NHL? Yes. But Giannis, this playoffs, not playoffs of the past, but this playoffs, he had no success. He didn't have success and elevated his game and put the team on his back and said we are not losing this series. We like I will do he Mark Messier. He's like I we're winning the series. We're doing it. I I will carry us there. And something that something that Connor McDavid needs to do to be better and actually solidify as the best player in the NHL is get to that level. Same with Austin Matthews, same with Mitch Marner, same with Nate McKinnon for all I care. Like all these guys who are studs in this league in the NHL and which we talk about the most, they got to take a page out of Giannis Antetokounmpo's book and just say, hey, I might not be the best during the regular season. I might have had failure in the past, but this is my year and I'm going to make it, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to make it count while it counts. Yeah, so it's taken a ton of years for Giannis to do that. Not a ton of years. He's 26, but a lot of those NHL players aren't 26. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these NHL players aren't 26 yet. So we'll see if they can get it done by the time they're 26, but... Yeah, finally got it done, and I mean, it's a good story to see. Still bitter about him not being a Raptor, but it is good to see him finally Oh, the Raptors, would if he was on the Raptors, they would have won the championship, no doubt. Lowry would have got a second one. I don't think that's close. I mean, look at that team. Look at the Bucks. They're okay. Name me one other stud on that team. I mean, Chris Muddleton and Drew Holiday are pretty good. <laughs> okay, but Kyle Lowry and... OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and like, do I need to continue? 
No, I, I just they're they're comparable to those guys on the Raptors. That's okay. So there you go. So that that's what that's more what I'm getting at. Not that they have nobody. I'm not saying they're nobodies. I don't want to say that. I say that too much. But like that's my comparison. Is like you put Giannis on the Raptors, it's easy money, easy easy money, and also you get other guys coming on that team. Anyway, um, that's our main uh, main kind of discussion points. Um, I just want to. There's two things that I want to talk about. First thing, um, apologies to our listeners because we did say that we were going to do a kind of a, a expansion draft preview sort of thing last week and we didn't end up doing it. And the reason we didn't end up doing it is we were going to record um, last night or shortly there before. And uh, all of the players got leaked. So we're like, what kind of a preview is this going to be when we already know who they're picking? So that was kind of dumb. So we, we can that. Um, the second thing I want to say is that, uh, yeah, so we are going to be doing an episode next week. We are going to be. Uh, doing an episode the week after that. And then we're going to take a break the week of August 8th to August 15th. Uh, we, I, I'm on vacation. Cam's probably going to be working at the, on the turf as the turf King does. Uh, but I, I'm going to be away. So we're going to take a week off that week and then we're going to bounce back uh, with some more stuff as we get into the NFL and, uh, and, if, and fantasy preview, we're hopefully going to get the guys on SGP back on the show prior to that, hopefully two weeks from now uh, to just go over some fantasy stuff, go over some uh, NFL uh, season preview, get Sean Green's take on Tua Tungvaloa. And that is kind of the housekeeping items that I wanted to bring up camp. The Toronto blue Jays wrapped up their uh, wrapped up their time in Buffalo. Shout out to Buffalo, man. Those fans showed up week after week. I mean, it's a good they get they're watching a good team because Vladdy's still on a fucking tear. But it's easy to watch a team that's good. But shout out to our fans of Buffalo. Thank you for taking care of our Jays. That's the last compliment Buffalo's gonna bid, because fuck their team. Uh aka the Bills. Uh but they took care of our boys. They're back at Rogers Center. The ticket prices, I looked at them today to see if I could go, and they're ridiculous. I cannot. <laughs> there's no There's no way you're going to get me to pay what they want, what the price right now is for regular season baseball in Toronto. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, the tickets sell out fast, and now you're seeing all these secondary sales go for ridiculous prices. So I probably won't be seeing a game anytime soon, but... I look forward to hopefully the day I can go watch the Jays in the Rogers Center again. And I mean, the big thing is, is there 15,000 fans when that fits 51,000? So the closer we get to opening up and back to normal, the easier and cheaper it'll be to go see a Jays game. Easier and cheaper indeed. Hopefully we get there later in the season. Uh, so that's it. We got uh, we got nothing left. We're, we got a lot of stuff coming up. Olympics are kicking off on Friday, uh, a.k.a. tomorrow, a.k.a. today, or a.k.a. yesterday, depending when you listen. Could be last week when you listen. I don't really care. Uh, but, uh, yeah, kicking off. Going to be super exciting. Uh, definitely cheering on Team Canada. Hoping that the uh, the COVID outbreaks get, uh, get kind of pulled back. Lots of stuff on that going on right now. Don't have time to get into all that, but go Team Canada. I love the Olympics, man. Love the Olympics. Uh, you might see me and Cam dive into our analysis of gymnastics, hammer throw. We might chirp 
or whatever, somebody doing the marathon, all the things that we can't physically do, we're definitely going to comment on from the comfort of our own homes and chairs. Yeah, the walk marathon's the best to watch. Whoever can walk the fastest. <laughs> oh, I mean, hey, if it was who could sit the longest in their chair or who could talk the most on a microphone, I actually might make Team Canada. I feel like we could, for sure. Um, but yeah, as I said, definitely something to look forward to. Uh, we're going to be back next week. Normal time. Our episodes will come out Thursday morning next week for sure. Uh, we will uh, update you on the world of sports and whatever we can. We got the uh, waste. Is it waste management open this weekend? 3M open this weekend. 3M open. Is there anything exciting about the 3M open? Not really. Guys are prepping for the Olympics. Guys are all over the place. So this is kind of just another weekend on the PGA Tour. So we don't care. So we probably won't talk 25 minutes about the 3M Open. But there's always golf and it's always fun. And we'll obviously update you next week on any sort of uh, uh, unrestricted free agent signings in the NHL. Uh, NBA season will be nothing. Uh, We'll see if the Jays can close the gap on wildcard spots. Olympic preview. There's so much more coming up on the Over 6 Sports Podcast as we move in to the busy part of the season. And as always, for the Over 6 Sports Podcast, I am Zach the Bandit Burke and the man you know and love, the Turf King. The Turf King. Cameron Charlton. Thanks for listening to the Over 6 Sports Podcast.